0: Uh, We've been starting a series here at Grassroots, a sermon series on prayer, and uh, for the next many months—and we're just at the beginning. So, if you're new, you're just catching the beginning of the of the train ride here. Uh, If, um, if, as we go on, my my challenge for this church over the course of many months is for us, each of each one of us, grow in our life of prayer. Uh, Prayer can be a challenge, prayer can be a struggle, and um, my vision and my hope and my dream for this church, as I know many have dreams for this church, uh, together we're dreaming that we can move forward in the life of prayer and deepen that in our own personal lives and as a church. So this is a season to, to invest in that. Now as we begin this morning, I was wondering if anyone here still as an adult loves to play with blocks. Come on, hands up. All right. Good. There are a few fellow block players. Lego is good. Um, I really love these different, like, red, yellow, and non-colored blocks. You know what I'm talking about? They're different shapes. You can build them up into sort of fun castles, and then some kid comes along and just blows on it or something, and all all your hard work goes to nothing. Um, I love blocks. Now, I I had this prayer... uh, kind of vision at one point, about three years ago, and uh, I, was, I was praying, and I, usually, I don't oftentimes have visions of, in prayer, of like images, or my, my imagination isn't often going. Uh, sometimes it is, and when it is, I, I'm, I pay attention, because I think, okay, something's happening here, there's some sort of connection I'm making with God, and what happened in this vision was I was in the middle of a, doing my PhD, and I didn't know if I was going to finish, it was hard, it was difficult, and it felt like I was just in pieces. Like I didn't really feel like I had a, could, could, could put it all together. And I was imagining in this, in this prayer that I was sitting in the throne room of God. So God's a king, he's on his throne. It's a big kind of chaos and throne room kind of vision. And, um, and there was lots of people, tons of people doing amazing things with blocks. <laughs> And so, like, this, they were, def- like, gravity-defying structures, and it was just amazing. And I was sitting there in, in, with a pile of blocks trying to make this simple little house, and it just kept falling apart. I was so frustrated, and I was looking at God being like, I'm, like, in my mid-30s, and I can't put a block thing together, God. You can see the metaphor here. (laughs) My life isn't, I can't, how how am I going to put this thing together? And every time I try, it seems to just fall over. And I was looking at him, and I was just like looking at all these other people with these amazing structures. And I thought to myself, God, or I was praying to God, "Um, it's so unfair. Look what they can do. And I can't even build build a little castle. And he was like, Keith, do you see what's happening? All these people who are building amazing things, look at which way they're facing. And I looked, and it was true. I didn't notice this before. All these amazing things, but their back was faced towards God. They were out doing all these wonderful things for all the world to see, building these uh, wonderful structures, but their back was to God. And here I was as a little child not being able to put together this structure, but I was looking at him. And he's like, that's what matters to me. And at that point, these doors opened at the side of God's throne room, and some henchmen came out. And they took me by the scruff and took me in the room, and the doors closed. And I think I've been in there since. (laughs) It's felt a little bit like hazing, but I'm not sure exactly what God is trying to do with me. Um, Yeah, so uh, in, in the midst of that, you know, when we talk about the life of prayer, what we're talking about is finding connection with God, like making a Like Wi-Fi, like making a connection. We got it on there? There we go. Um, It's like making a connection with God. Like this isn't making a connection. Um, Here we go. So it's like making a connection with God and these... um, uh, there's these beautiful benefits, that's right, that's where we're at. There's beautiful benefits to prayer as we make a connection of God. If you read through all the Psalms, which are the, was the Bible's great prayer book in the Old Testament, you get these great benefits to those who pray and are seeking the face of God. You, he watches over their way. He sustains them. He delivers them. He protects them. He gives them peace. He never forsakes them. He satisfies them. He shelters them. And there's even one psalm that goes on about how God will give us food, the food we need. And these beautiful, beautiful um, promises of those who are caught up in the prayer life. And um, in this this lovely prayer of Psalm 73, in the midst of all these great blessings from God, the psalmist prays, who in heaven have I but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire other than you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. We don't, we don't come to the prayer life because of the benefits. The greatest prayer that we can pray is this deep sense that, God, you are my portion. You are what I'm taking away. If there's everything else I lose and I have you, I have it all. Um. But it just so happens that as we seek God truly in the life of prayer, these other benefits follow. And so as as we're going into prayer, I'm going to preach probably, I don't know, 20, 30 sermons on prayer in the Psalms over the course of the next many months. And I'll, I'll go about teaching you how to pray, like the strategies for prayer. And I'll go about teaching you some of the values of prayer and the great New Testament prayers and how to organize our prayers so that it's not just asking for things all the time. And I'll, I'll introduce you to some of the great prayer um, masters of the Christian faith. But our prayer life is worth nothing, I'm suggesting. None of that matters if we don't come in through the right doorway. If we're not facing God himself. Uh, and so I've been, I've been putting it like this. Uh, there's, when it comes to prayer, there's like two doorways. Uh, if you go in the wrong door if you go into, I don't know, let's call this one the wrong door and this one the right one. They both look the same. But if you go into the wrong door, you're going to find yourself just muttering words. Um, rattling off dull, overused prayer words, praying like a noisy gong, and, and so far away from the heart of the Father that it's going gonna, it's gonna to feel empty and there's going to be despair. Um, And you're going to be really confused. And so I've I've given a little bit of a description last week. And we're going to pause here at this place for the next two weeks. So I can give you a much better description of what the right door feels like. Now, I've given it two words. The wrong door um, is like having these two things going in your life. Arrogance and entitlement. God will not abide our arrogance and entitlements. Not because he's a jerk, not because he just sort of wants to beat his chest and play power games, but because these are the things which make us so um, far away from human. Our humanity, our very humanness, depends on our neediness of God and our sense of abandonment to him. And if we come with arrogance and entitlement as human beings in any relationship, it's going to, we're going to drown. It's going to tank. Our life will not go well if we are arrogant, entitled people. And so out of his kindness, if you can put it that way, if we enter into our prayer life with these two things engaged, it's not going to go anywhere. It's, this is where he starts. Um, and uh, the opposites of these are the things which end up being, taking us into the right doorway arrogance and entitlement. If this is the way we learn to pray and learn the way we be, uh, we cannot even come close to the heart of God. But if we have a sense of neediness and our own weakness and our own poverty, and if we have a sense that we are abandoned to God, we're going to enter into this this way of prayer. So, um, last week I sort of, I, I introduced this all by giving Jesus his own, Experience in the desert. He came out, and Satan said to him, "If you, if you think you're so good, just cast yourself off this cliff, and God will protect you." Now Jesus, knowing not to come to God entitled and arrogant, knew that this is Satan had no idea what prayer was about, and Jesus knew the deeper sense of praying. So he just said, "The word also says that you shouldn't put your God to the test, which is a very humble and abandoned thing to say." So as we go in deeper, um, let's just be reminded of these things. That Jesus himself had a rich prayer life. He went about praying and he did it deeply. And he has some of the best teaching on prayer in all of, all of human civilization. And he was never tempted to be arrogant or entitled. And so the kind of prayer that I'm talking about that is full of our neediness and our abandonment to God happens when, oftentimes when we're left in the dark. God's not telling us what he's doing. That happens quite a bit. And the prayer life that's going to be a deep, rich, God-centered prayer life is going to be able to handle those moments where we're left in the dark. Prayer also is hearing from God out of the darkness. And what I mean by this is oftentimes we can't really hear or see or understand God. But sometimes, out of nowhere, comes a word to us. And this is him speaking to us. Uh, prayer also nourishes us in dark times. When we're going through really dark things, prayer is the thing which nourishes us and shields us. And prayer is also groaning that we have out of the dark corners of our heart where we get out all of the things which we don't even know we're thinking. And this is the prayer life. And I'm gonna, this is, I'm gonna talk about this over the course of many, many, many months. Um, But we're going to go deeper in today. Uh, We're going to look at Psalms, uh, well, the next two weeks. We're going to look at Psalms 22, 23, and 24. Some of the best Psalms in in the whole book, Psalm 22 is the the Psalm that Jesus was praying while he was dying on the cross. Psalm 23 is probably the best known prayer of the whole book. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want even though I walk through the darkest valley. And Psalm 24, if you guys know Handel's Messiah, that great, that great work from old, um, Psalm 24 highlights in that, lift up you heads, O you gates, and be ye lifted up, you ye, ye ancient doors. And we have to figure out first what the word ye means. Okay, so Psalm 22 and Psalm 23 and Psalm 24. I'm going to talk this week about how arrogance stunts and prevents us from the prayer life. And the next week, I'm going to talk about how entitlement does, and these three psalms helps us get there. So uh, here, here, here it is. Let's. Uh, so this is Psalm, parts of Psalm 23 and Psalm 24. And I'm going to read these out loud and give us just a bit of a first taste of what I'm talking about here. Psalm 23: The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me to right paths. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. You are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. Who shall go up to the hill of the Lord? And who stands in his holy place? The hill of the Lord is uh, Jerusalem. So when this, this person was writing the prayer, they lived in the time when the, the Jerusalem temple stood uh, 2,000 plus years ago. And uh, God's very presence lived and dwelt in that 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 um, temple. And so the hill, the holy place, this is just another way to say into God's very presence. Who shall go up to the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? Those who have clean hands and pure hearts, who do not lift up their souls to what is false and who do not swear deceitfully, they will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from the God of their salvation, such as the company of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob, so right away here in these verses we see that this is about prayer who seek the face of the God of Jacob. It's a beautiful poetic way to say those whose face in their life in everything they do as they build up their their life's story is faced towards God, who's seeking his face in whatever they do no matter what is happening to them. This is the life of prayer. And you can see the benefits here. These two Psalms already harp on them. He restores my soul. How many of us would love to lay in a hammock somewhere and feel like deeply restored? How many of us feel like our our energy has been just poured out, and perhaps our wheels have been spinning, or that we've been grieving over something deeply, or that um, things have not been going our way, so we've got life, you know, by um, by the scruff of the neck, and we're just taking it on, and we're just tired. If you're deeply tired. The Lord will restore our soul. These are the benefits of prayer. He leads me. How many feel aimless and sometimes confused about which decisions in life to make? He leads us. Even though we go through hard things and the shadow of death, He's with us and it dislodges our fear. We don't have to fear because He's with us. How many of us wish in life that we could walk through it with our fear disengaged? Their rod and their staff, they comfort me. This is the imagery of a king and a shepherd both at once. The king's rod to strike away enemies and the staff to gently lead and guide along the right path. Those are the two things which bring me deep comfort. How many of us go through life distressed? Just in deep distress and needing comfort deeply. This is what God gives to us. Going down, they receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from the God of their salvation. How many people here have ever been wronged by someone? We need vindication. We need someone to stand up for us to tell the truth about who we are and what we've done. This is the God that we serve. So there's lots of benefits, there's guidance. Um, later on in Psalm 24, it talks about the one who seeks God's face. Uh, goodness and mercy will follow you wherever you go all the day of your, days of your life. And that, uh, my, it says, when, when I am experiencing a life of deep prayer, it's like my cup. You know, my soul is overflowing. And the way that this gets translated into the, to the Greek version of the Old Testament is that my soul is intoxicated, I'm drunk on God's goodness. <laughs> it's an image. Um, so these, these, uh, these psalms get us into prayer so, so richly and deeply. And I love this, um, this, this kind of image of the Lord as a shepherd because here's the thing, like we are his sheep. We are the one who he's taking care of. And that doesn't mean we're dumb or like animals. That's not what this is about. Um, this means that we are needy. That we live in an environment, in a world that requires us to be taken care of. There are too many forces, too many powers, too many situations, too much brokenness for us to go around thinking that we're in charge of our life. We need God as a shepherd who takes care of it. And the, the Psalm 24 will go on to say that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, and all who live in it. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. And here's the rub about arrogance. When we think, I'm not a sheep, I'm not dumb. I, I've got this, I can figure out my life. When we say to ourselves, you know, um, maybe after all I can, I can handle this on my own. When that's our heart's posture, we lose the fact <laughs> that he's the king of glory. Uh, these, the, what, what, are, what are these ancient doors? What is this poetic language telling us? And it could mean many, many things. But one of the things that I think it means is the human heart. What, what else has been around since the beginning of time? Lift up your heads. Get out, get out of your own sort of story that is just you and you alone. Lift up your heads to look around you. The God of glory is here. And open up your gates. Don't be closed off. Don't be closed off thinking you've got this. Open up your, your heart to God because um, <laughs> the, way that, uh, the way that we can get going oftentimes is through... Um, through arrogance. Now Jesus, he's going to understand this and he's going to teach on this. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. The poor in spirit, this means those who know they're needy, who know that they've got a lot of poverty, who they, they, they need God's riches to um, fill up their life. And those who walk in with their chest held up high thinking that they're the, the king of the world are never going to figure out what the kingdom of heaven is about. It's about being low, low and lowly. Uh, the psalmists just nail this for us. Psalm 5. The arrogant will not stand before your eyes, O oh God. The, it, you cannot be in the presence of God with arrogance. In Psalm 75. I, God, say, don't raise your fist up against the high God. Don't raise your voice up in arrogance. With your neck strained against the rock of ages. Now, when I think about arrogance and when I read the, the, the psalms, the arrogant come in various psalms. The description of the arrogant comes in various psalms. And when I, when I read the psalms, I, I find two types of arrogance. One of them is wicked people, and the other one is religious people. Both of these people can bring their arrogance to God's throne. Um. Here's the thing that the wicked are described as in various psalms. They're serial liars. They're bloodthirsty. They're bent on destruction. They have schemes against the poor. Driven by desires, they are. They like to go around breaking the brokenhearted. And ultimately, it happens over and over again. Here's their ver- here's their claim. God does not see. He does not hear. I can do anything I want. And and the God of the heaven will not notice. He's hidden. That's the great chorus of the wicked, arrogant person. Now the religious, the way that the religious person uh, functions in their arrogance is they start envying the wicked people. They've gone for a time, they know that they need God, but then they look around them and they see the wicked prospering. But Psalm 73 says it like this, truly God is good to the upright, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And on and on it goes, these descriptions of of what it's like for a faithful religious person to look and be envious of the arrogant. In one Psalm, it puts it like this, "Um, they have no pain, Their bodies are sound and sleek. The arrogant, they're they're not, like the wicked, they're not in trouble like the rest of us. They're not plagued. They have pride as their necklace. Their eyes are swell out with fatness. That's a psalm. Their hearts overflow with folly. They scoff and laugh at people. Um, And therefore, I stumbled because I looked and I thought, I want that in my life. And what happens with the religious when they get wicked, if they're not just a wicked person who's wearing religion as a cloak, if they're truly faithful, desiring God's heart, what happens is their loyalty fails. They fail the loyalty. They see all the things that the world has around them, and they, they, they miss the relationship with God. And, and here's what happens. They slip into that same posture. God does not see. He does not care. So arrogance, we cannot come to God through arrogance. Now Jesus tells, Jesus solidifies this. He, he knows the Psalms, he loves the Psalms. He says, one time there were two people that came to God's presence in the temple who came to worship God. One was a religious leader and the other was a despised debt collector. He says, the one religious person came and stood up in front of everyone, putting their hands high to the sky, saying, thank you, God, that I'm not like all the wicked people of the world. Thank you that I give a tenth of my my money to you. And thank you that you have great favor upon me. And Jesus said, now behind him, way off in the distance, there was a debt collector, despised, poor, needy debt collector who understood his sin. And understood his brokenness. And Jesus said, this person wouldn't even look up to the heavens. They wouldn't even bring themselves to look up to the, to the sky. And this was their only prayer. Father, I am a sinner. Be merciful upon me. Do you see the difference there? One of them is so confident. They're walking around in their self-sufficiency. They're walking around in their desires to be great. They're walking around for people to see them and to feel better and bigger than other people. And the other one is not even thinking of themselves as able to look up to the sky. So arrogance, how does it work? It's like others have it wrong type of posture. It's like laughing at others and shaking your head at others. It's like thinking that your way to God and your way of being religious is the best and right way. It's thinking that the issues that you're passionate about are the very things that God's passionate about. Um, I've got it. I'm good. And here comes the chorus. God doesn't see. He cannot hear. Now listen, I'm not standing up here going, thank God I'm not like all of you people. I struggle with arrogance. But here's the thing I've learned about arrogance. I mean, God has Taken me to task over a decade on this point. He's brought me low in many, many circumstances because I've gotten too high. And my prayer life is not as far as long as it, as it should be, because of my arrogance, my self-sufficiency and feeling like, "I've got this. I could figure this out if I could just just figure it out. Um, but the thing I've learned about arrogance is arrogance usually doesn't come from feelings of um, people being confident about themselves. I mean, there are some people with a personality type that they just naturally want to dominate others. They want to be in charge. They want to be the executive. They want their way to be the highway. That's personality. What I'm talking, arrogance, is adding arrogance to that personality type struggles. Um, But arrogance is about this. Um, It's about a deep-seated insecurity. It's about feeling not worthy enough, not good enough, Um, not special enough, not important enough. And so what we do with those feelings of embarrassment and shame is we turn them upside down and protect them with our own arrogance, convincing ourselves that we are the best, we are the, 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 um, the, the, the best way, the right way, the superiors in any relationship. It comes from these deep questions inside of us. Now, uh, one of the things I've been learning about myself, and some of you have been kind of helping me along this way, is that um, I am a bit embarrassed by my own passion. Like, I, when, I, when I, um, I had a buddy who I went ice climbing with last November, and he took forever to get up this, what seemed like a small hill. I'm like, come on, I'm waiting down here, it's my turn, I want to go. Slowly, methodically... Like, okay, he got to the top, and it was good. But I was, like, I was filled with passion, and I was going to have to climb next to, like, this experienced ice climber. And so off this experienced ice climber went, ka-ching, 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 Like, why not keep pace, right? So then I went, ka-ching, ka-ching. I live life with passion, friends. I live life with, with that kind of passion. And halfway up, I lose... A crucial piece of equipment. I go flying across the, the, the face of the, the ice uh, hill and out comes my iPhone and I lose it and it goes 100 feet down. It's gone. And I'm embarrassed by that because that's how I tend to do life. I tend to go at it with passion. And then it bites me back. And so I've learned, I've learned to hide that passion. I've learned to, um, to put it deep inside of me so I won't be embarrassed by it. And I think because of that, because I hide my passion and I hide my emotions deep inside, I walk around and I think sometimes people like catch that as arrogance. And partly because I've got to convince myself that I'm embarrassed by this and it's not so embarrassing and I've got to convince, I'm not, I don't, I'm not deeply aware in my own life that that passion can be a really good thing. I'm not, I'm not at peace with myself in this area. And so I overcompensate and out comes arrogance. (laughs) I've got it, I'm good. But that's not the way we should pro- approach God. And let me, let me encourage you and invite you this morning to think about approaching God with neediness, with our own sense of poverty, with our own sense of being like the person who can't even look up to God because we don't feel worthy. It's a counterintuitive, because if you go through the life of prayer with your arrogance and not your neediness, You're going to end up in more desert and despair. Uh, So here it is. Simple prayer. This is out of a chapter by Richard Foster on his book of prayer. Richard Foster is a a writer about the spiritual world and the spiritual life. And he says this, we're not quite sure what holds us back from prayer. Of course, we are busy with work and family obligations, but that's only a smokescreen. Our busyness seldom keeps us from eating or sleeping or making love. It is the notion, this is what keeps us back, almost universal among modern high achievers, that we have to have everything just right in order to pray. He goes on to talk about this. Um, here's how we do this. If we think, um, if we think we're going to enter into the life of prayer, we need to know all about it. We need to read all the right books. We need to ask all the right philosophical questions and answer them about prayer. We need to have a great grasp on the prayer traditions. But of course, this again puts us in control. It puts us on the top position. And prayer, the only way to enter into true prayer is through our neediness. And so sometimes, friends, the first way in is through our humility. We just get going. We bring all of our questions and all of our mixed motives to God. Now, I'm going to just talk very clearly about this point, hopefully, because one of the things I'm saying is you can't come to God if you feel like you've got your life together. But at the same time, the only way into God is through sort of being comfortable with your mixed motives. You can't come to God through arrogance, but you can't come to him unless you admit you're arrogant. It's it's a hard thing. It's a tricky thing. And I'm going to play it out like this. Um, we, come, we come into the presence of God and we, need, we feel like we need to get it all straight. Our motives need to be pure. We've got to understand all about it. We've got to ha- have a grasp of it. And that puts us again in control. But what we need to be mostly is, is out of control. We're, we're just like children. Coming to God in prayer for the first time or to engage your prayer life can oftentimes look like a lot of arrogance. It's about me. It's about my, my, my needs and about the people I think that need prayer. But come with your mixed motives. That's a form of being humble. Ability to start the prayer life, even if it's going to be all about you for a while. It's a great place to start. The people you know, the people you love, the things that are on your mind, the distress that you have. Now let me talk about distress there for a second. I don't like being distressed. Do you like being distressed? Distressed is not good. I feel distressed when I'm distressed. Um, but one writer says it like this. Learn to see your distress in life as the very thing that engages your prayer life. And they've, they've, they've come to love distress, the things that distress them, because it's, it's like rich, the rich soil out of which a prayer life grows. I love when I'm distressed, says the writer, because I can bring all of my neediness and distress to God. That's where it all begins. That's how we begin the prayer life. Now Moses, if you think of Moses, um, the great old patriarch of, of the Old Testament, alive before the psalmists were even writing the psalms, he had a lot of mixed motives and confused prayers. One of them was like, God, why, do you, why did you give me all these people who are following me, but then their necks are stiff and they, 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 they struggle to follow and they don't even want to serve you? Like, can you just sort of take them away? That's not a very noble prayer, is it? But Moses also had some of the most profound prayers as well in the whole Bible. Psalm 90 is written by him. It's one of the best. Check it out. Psalm 90, written by Moses. Um, but also there was this time when he was on a mountain and God was himself just angry with all the people and said, Moses, I'm going to kill them all. I'm going to wipe them out. And Moses stood up and said, God, God, give them a second chance. If you're going to take anyone out, take me out. It's a beautiful prayer in the middle of the book of Exodus. Sometimes the people who have the most shallow, childish, mixed motives prayers can also have some of the most profound. And you never know when the profound ones come if you're not praying. And you've got to get through kind of the childish, mixed motives prayer. Um, so that's, that's a form of neediness. That's a form of humility. You begin your prayer life even if you don't feel like you have it all together because feeling like you have it all together is probably the most arrogant thing that you can feel in all of life. We begin right where we start with wherever we are. Uh, and here's, here's another thing. Um, if you desire to pray but don't know how, that's kind of a good, that's a prayer in itself. If, you, if you're like, okay, Pastor Keith is challenging me to pray this week. I don't know how to pray, I don't do it. Turn your radio off for five minutes and sit there desiring to pray. God, I want to pray, I don't know how. That's a good place to start Too. That's a needy, humble prayer. The desire to pray is a prayer in itself. I love that. Um, one, One authorized reading goes into this much deeper. He says this. If we knew how great is the love of Jesus for us, We will never be afraid to go to him in all of our poverty, all of our weakness, all of our spiritual wretchedness and infirmity. Indeed, when we understand the true nature of his love for us, we will prefer to come to him poor and helpless. Coming to him poor and helpless is being at deep peace in the start at our own mixed motives, our own brokenness our own um, shallowness. But it's also learning to be at peace with others as well. The same author goes on to say, we cannot enter into the life of prayer unless we love ourselves as Jesus loves us in all of our broken smallness. And we cannot come to God unless we learn to love others as God loves them in all of their shallowness and brokenness. See, this is going against arrogance and pride. Um, Seeing just the love that God has for everyone, including yourself, um, as a way to humble yourselves and come to him poor and helpless. One of the greatest prayers of the whole Christian tradition comes out of Jesus' parable that I told you. Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. There are whole like monasteries. This comes out of Russia. There are whole monasteries where... That's the only prayer that the monks of that order ever pray. They sit there day in and day out Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's a wonderful, lovely little prayer if you're wanting to begin. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, this doesn't mean that we um, think of ourselves as people to be despised because of our weaknesses, our mistakes our desires, the things which we're embarrassed about. We don't just look down and think, oh, I'm nothing, God, because of all this stuff. We, we, we look down and we see the mixed hearts that we have, and we look, try to look through the eyes of Jesus, which is compassionate and kind. If we understood that Jesus loves us just as we are, we don't need to be building death, gravity-defying sets of blocks. We can build little houses and they can crumble and we can enter deeply into the heart of God. And it's the way in. Now the the prayer life is rich, and it's filled with praise and petition, which means we ask for things, and it's filled with thanksgiving, and it's filled with prayers for forgiving other people and asking forgiveness. It's filled with confession, where we come and we apologize, and we ask for forgiveness for the things that we've done. It's filled with so many things. But friends, if you're struggling with your life of prayer, if it hasn't engaged yet in your life, let me encourage you to figure out where you're being arrogant. I've, if I ask you to raise your hand, how many people here think they're an arrogant person? <laughs> oh, wow, good. <laughs> Honest people. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to call you. Yeah, I wasn't trying to do that. That's great, though. I love, uh, I love that. Um, but, um, yeah, um, that's, that's a great place to question. If I can't pray, where, where am I feeling arrogance and where am I feeling like not good enough and I'm overcompensating um, part of the part of the, the Christian life I mean an essential part of it And I'll, I'll finish here with this um, is learning to come with all of our uh, kind of uh, warts and all so to speak into the presence into the throne room of God we come to him and we open ourselves with our, all of our desires, all of our questions, all of our anger, all of our mixed fears and motives, and we learn what it is in our daily life time and time again to turn our attention, and turn our face to the living God. And, um, and uh, that life has so much to offer us and so much to give us, and yet so often aren't we walking around Trying to carry our own loads and carry the heavy burdens of life, just trying to figure out how to get from one day to the next. And within our grasp is the riches of the living God and the presence of the living God. Um, Jesus himself came into the world naked and a baby, utterly helpless, in deep need and ultimately fully aware that he was enough and loved by the Father. And that's our invitation too. That's what it means to be a Christian and to enter into the life of prayer, entering in with our helplessness, our need of God over and over and over again. So I'm gonna invite you to the table here, friends. Um, and, and remember that, um, yeah, if you're, if you're new today, I would love to get a chance to meet you. Um, there's a lunch afterwards. And a lot going on. Uh, So come to that. Um, But as we enter into the table here, we recognize that this is one of the most perfect places in all of uh, our, our week to come and bring our neediness to God. If you're a person who's been sort of caught up in arrogance and you know it, this is a great place to say, God, forgive me. You might come like like the person in Jesus's like the debt collector in Jesus's parable and say um, God have mercy on me I need mercy I'm arrogant perfect way to, to, to bring that to God uh, if you feel like you are a person who isn't fully in touch with how much Jesus loves you and how much you're loved by the Father it's a perfect time to come and say God I don't know that I would love to know that more it's also a perfect time, if you don't have a life of prayer and want one, to come and say, God, I desire prayer. Teach me to pray. Um, another, another good place to come for this is Wednesday nights. There's a small group of people on Wednesday nights um, that gather at 7.39 here, uh, praying together. Come out and pray. Um, so friends... Um, as you come to the the table this morning and bring whatever it is you have, I invite you to come, not with your self-sufficiency, not with your sense of having it together, but with your sense of not having it together, with your sense of the need of God. And he's here in this space, in this time waiting to hold you and to care for you and to call you home to him again. So the table is set and everyone is welcome.